Hey everyone, this is Colin from Salt of the Streets, and welcome to the Salt of the Streets audio blog post. This is my very first audio blog post. This is going to be a the first of a multi-part series on the political controversy known as Iran-Contra. As much as I would like to cover this topic from start to finish in one sitting, as a big fan of history, I believe that proper context has to be given to great historical events to truly understand them. With a topic like this, which led to one of, if not, I'd say the biggest political controversies our nation has ever experienced, context is absolutely paramount to understanding and getting a a big picture view of the actual story. So I invite you to check out my series about the Iran-Contra affair, a story that spans the globe from deserts in the Middle East to the jungles of Central America, CIA missions, guerrilla warfare, hostages, White House scandal, and even a little treason. So without further ado, welcome to part one of Iran-Contra, Nicaragua. Let's travel back in time. The year is 1979, and President Jimmy Carter is in the White House, though not for much longer. The multi-decade-long Cold War is entering a new era, but the United States government is still very determined to stop the spread of communism across the world. Down in Central America, nestled between Honduras and Costa Rica, lies the small country of Nicaragua. Its leader, a U.S.-backed dictator named Anastasio Somoza de Bela, is in trouble. As head of the National Guard, he had essentially become the de facto ruler of the country, back in 1967, after the death of his older brother. But his grasp on power is slipping, and his very life is in danger. He is about to become the last of the Somoza family to be president, ending a family dynasty of power dating back to 1936, when his father had first risen to power, with thanks, of course, to the U.S. Marine Corps. But, of course, that's another story altogether. Anastasio's country has been embroiled in deeply violent civil war since the early 1960s, when the Nicaraguan Revolution first began. The Frente Sandista de Liberación Nacional, for our sake we're going to call that the FSLN, known in English as the Sandista National Liberation Front, has grown in strength and number to the point that a governmental overthrow is coming, and it's just a matter of time now. Quick side note on the FSLN. We're going to not be calling them the FSLN here on the audio portion of this blog post because that's a mouthful, and I think we should probably use their most common vernacular, which was the Sandistas. You know, when you hear about Iran-Contra, if you've heard anything about it, you don't really hear about the FSLN. You usually hear about the Contras and the Sandistas. So going forth, we're going to go ahead and refer to them as the Sandistas, So just a little background on the Sandistas real quick. They were a Marxist-Communist revolutionary group hell-bent on overthrowing the dictatorial presidential dynasty of the Somoza family. They were very much modeled, and if not modeled, I would say for sure inspired by the very famous Cuban revolutionary Che Guevara, who I'm sure all of you have seen his face plastered on somebody's t-shirt somewhere. And, by the way, who wasn't actually even Cuban. I believe he was from Argentina. And I think it's important to remember that any communist revolution around the world at the time was a very important issue 
for the two major powers of the world, the Soviet Union and the United States of America. One trying to spread communism throughout the globe and one trying to stop it. As far as the United States was concerned, the Sandistas were becoming a massive problem. If you were looking at the situation with contemporary glasses, you may be thinking that the U.S. government would be completely on board with helping a people's revolution to overthrow a nepotistic dictatorship like the Samosas. But keep in mind that the Samosa family was only in power due to the U.S.'s military involvement in Nicaragua a decade or so earlier. The real problem the U.S. had with the rise of the Sandistas was the fact that they were primarily supported by communist governments, such as Cuba, Panama, and Venezuela. And of course, all those strings traced all the way back to Moscow, the proverbial queen bee of communism. On July 17, 1979, it happened. Somoza stepped down and escaped into exile, essentially handing over the reins of power to the Sandistas, who began to inject communism and socialistic policies into the country. And now we introduce the counter-revolutionists, better known as the Contras. The Contras were actually built up of a great number of various anti-Sandinista rebel groups, the largest of those being the Nicaraguan Defense Force. Over time, these various rebel groups began to merge and blend. Ultimately, they would form into a group known as the Nicaraguan Resistance, though this didn't happen until much later in our story, around 1987. In 1980, a man by the name of Ronald Reagan had just become president. Reagan was a staunch anti-communist, and his administration saw the formation of all these loosely grouped bands of anti-Sandinista rebels as an asset and wished to forge a relationship with them. Anti-Sandinista meant anti-communist, after all, and fighting communism was one of, if not the greatest foreign policy concern at the time. Remember, this was the Cold War. There was a problem that the Reagan administration faced when trying to ally themselves with the Contras. While fighting the Nicaraguan government, they committed a very large number of blatant violations of human rights, carrying out more than 1,300 attacks that would today be classified as acts of terror. This is something the Reagan administration downplayed as much as possible. But this is how the Contras fought, and there was no amount of downplaying the administration could do to make that fact go away. But how exactly was the United States helping out the Contras? From the beginning of their relationship with the United States, the Contras received the vast majority of their support directly from the United States government, something they grew to depend on in time. That is, of course until the almighty power of the United States Congress put their own foot down with the passing of the Boland Amendment between 1982 and 1984, which essentially stopped governmental assistance to the Contras in its tracks. But this would not stop the Reagan administration from fighting back against the spread of communism. As they saw it, communism was still the greatest threat to American safety and democracy, and they'd stop it next to nothing to rid the world of its cancerous spread. And how did they do that? Well, you'll have to wait for Iran-Contra Part 2, when we tackle the Iran side of the Iran-Contra affair, which comes out January 10th, 2019, right here on saltofthestreets.com. Until then, as always, you can find us at Salt of the Streets on both Instagram and Facebook. You can also find Don and myself directly. I am at Big Bird Offie on both the Instagrams and the Twitter machine, 
Donovan is at Salt of the Street on Twitter and Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. Together, we are Salt of the Streets, and we are here to bridge the gap between people and information. Thanks for listening.